Good morning, Grace. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Have you ever had a hero crash and burn? Hero crash and burn. I'm pretty sure this is something that most of, if not all of us, have experienced in our lives. Uh, I grew up a skateboarder back in Birmingham, Alabama, where I'm from. Uh, My middle school and high school years, pretty much all of my free time was spent skateboarding, thinking about skateboarding, dreaming about skateboarding, uh, watching skateboard videos. Uh, I lived and breathed skateboarding. It's my favorite thing. Uh, And because of this, my heroes tended to be skateboarders. So uh, there was one skateboarder in particular, and I used to watch all of his videos. And every article that said something about him, I would read, and I would absorb this stuff. Uh, I would read his interviews. I I felt like I knew him. I would buy his version of skateboards. And, and he was just an important person in my life, strangely enough, as a high schooler back in Birmingham. Well, uh, there was a particular skate shop in downtown Birmingham that uh, I used to go to all the time. I spent a lot of my free time at this particular skate shop. And this skate shop was bringing in a lot of professional skateboarders to do an event. And so I uh, was excited and everybody in this community, we were pumped to have these people who aren't regularly in our town coming, and we were actually going to have the opportunity to meet these people. And so uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks, we anticipated this, and we were excited about this, and the, my favorite skateboarder was going to be there, so I was particularly excited about meeting him. Well, uh, the day comes, and 16-year-old me hops in my car, and I drive over to this skate shop. Uh, skate shop was a small place. It was probably about the size of our men's bathroom or half the size of our women's bathroom (laughs) with a few less couches. Um, And uh, so I walk in, very small area, and as soon as I walk in, there is the guy, my favorite skateboarder, standing just a few feet away from me. And I'm in shock. He's right there. And so I confidently walk up to him. Hi, my name is Jackson. I'm a big fan. Uh, Thank you for being here. And he looks me straight in the eye and he laughs in my face and turns and walks away. And and once again, this is a small space. So he walked like three feet away and just stood there, (laughs) just not paying attention to me. And I look over and all my friends just have their mouths open and they start to laugh at me and make fun of me, which continued for quite some time. And so after this, I was not a fan of this guy anymore. Seeing your heroes fail, falter, mess up, it's a weird thing. It's a hard thing. Uh, It's confusing. It calls into question a lot of the presuppositions and beliefs that you hold. And it can be really, really disappointing. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our study of the book of Genesis. We're going to continue to look at the life of Abraham, the father of our faith. And we're going to see how God continues to work through this man and bringing about the promises that he made to him that eventually impact us in Christ. 
And this morning, as we go to the Word, we are going to see Father Abraham, the hero of the faith, we are going to see him fail terribly. And so our time in the morning this morning is going to be spent trying to answer a single question. What does Father Abraham's failure teach us? What does Father Abraham's failure teach us? Three things that we're going to see as we go to Genesis 12 this morning. The Christian life is a life full of trials. It's a life full of trials. Simply put, we will all experience the sorts of circumstances in life that will lead us to a place where we have to make hard decisions, difficult decisions, and we have to decide if we will act with faith or unbelief. Second, the best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. I heard Alistair Begg, he is a a pastor, say this one time, and I think it wonderfully captures what we're seeing here in Genesis 12. As great as an exemplar of faith that Abraham was, he's also an example of why grace is so needed and so important, even in our lives today. And finally, God will remain faithful to his covenant promises. This is where everything is moving towards in this passage. This is the big point of the passage. God will remain faithful to his word, to his promises, and we can be absolutely sure of this in Christ. So, if you have your Bibles, let's seek to see these things by reading from chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Follow along with me, please. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that we can humbly and boldly approach you this morning in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that we can, in fact, be sure that nothing in this world can separate us from the love of Christ. And Father, I pray as a result of our time in the word this morning that by your spirit you would confirm this gospel truth in our hearts and lives. Help us, Father. May your spirit guide and direct this time. And in all of this, may Christ be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So once again, the first thing we want to see this morning is that the Christian life is full of trials. 
I think we see this right from the get-go in verse 10. Now, now, this verse provides the context and the circumstances that drive all of the action of the story that we're considering today. Up until this point, we've seen Abram act consistently one way, faithfully. He's acted with remarkable faith. He's obeyed the commands of God. So we begin in chapter 12 with these incredible promises of God made to Abram and stipulations of the promise. Quickly, we move to Abram living out the commands of God, acting faithfully, obeying God, exemplifying faith. We see him uh, receiving God's word to leave his, his father's land, and he says yes. He goes, even though this is a difficult thing. We see him worship in the midst of enemy lands. With enemies all around him, he praises God and builds monuments to his glory. Things are going well with Abram. And then, verse 10, conflict. Conflict is introduced. There was a famine in the land. Famine. The famine was so severe that it forced Abram to have to figure out a way to get food, to provide for his family, to live. And this famine drove Abram and his wife Sarai to Egypt. There are actually different ancient documents that tell us that Egypt was a place for people like Abram. They regularly received people who were being afflicted by things like famine. Uh, Egypt was a resource-rich land, and so people from all over knew that that was a place to go when they were in trouble. And so somehow Abram knew this, and so in the midst of this difficult situation, he packed up his things, and they left to go to Egypt. And as we continue the story, we see that as they enter into Egypt, Egypt provides an opportunity for, for Abram and, and Sarai to be tempted in an incredible way. Their faith is tested in this moment. But, but... The point that I want us to see before we get there, though, is that there was a circumstance that led Abram to that point of testing. In fact, this happens over and over again in uh, the story of Abram in the book of Genesis. Here, Abram is forced to Egypt where his faith is tested. Later, Abram's faith is tested when his nephew Lot is captured and he has to go and save him. Will he do that? Will he not? Will he act faithfully? His faith is tested when he's asked to believe in the explicit promises of God in Genesis 15. I will make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And Abram looks into the sky and he believes. His faith is tested when he's asked to sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis 22. There are various circumstances that cause Abram's faith to be tested over and over and over again in these chapters in the book of Genesis. In other words, Abram's faith journey did not begin and end in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, where he displays remarkable faith. No, it keeps going. It keeps going. And the next 10 or so chapters lay this out for us. They show us what is natural to life in Christ. And that is trial. Trial. The story of Abram and Sarah and Sarai sojourning in Egypt shows us that the Christian life is a road. The Christian life is a road. Last weekend, Raylin, Henry, and I were able to get away for the weekend, for Labor Day weekend, and go up to Cayucas. 
Cayucas is central coast, a beautiful area up along the central coast. Uh, it's about 200 miles from where we live in Fullerton. And so like Abram and Sarai, there was a beginning to our journey where we set out. And we were uh, journeying 200 miles away. The strange thing that I've noticed about living in Southern California is that we don't actually measure distance in miles, do we? No, we measure distance in what? Time. Time. Why? Well, because L.A. exists. <laughs> yeah. So we head out for a 200-mile journey, a relatively short journey that shouldn't take us that long, but then we hit L.A. And what happens when we hit L.A.? We hit traffic. Traffic, traffic, tons of traffic. It makes no sense to me how it is possible for so much traffic to exist in that city. But that's what happens. We go through L.A. and we are delayed, 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 delayed. And so finally we get out of traffic in L.A. And by that point, we need to go to the restroom. So we have to stop and use the restroom. Then we are hungry, so we have to stop and get food. By that point, I am sufficiently tired and I am zoning out, so I'm not paying good attention and we're almost running into cars who are stopping in front of us. Over and over again, there are different impediments to us actually getting to our destination. There are dangers, toils, and snares, if you will. And I think what we're seeing here in this beginning portion of Genesis chapter 12, it's just like with Abram and Sarai, there is a beginning to our journey. There was a beginning to Abram and Sarai's journey. As they left the land of Ur, they were like Christian from Pilgrim's Progress. They plugged their ears and they ran saying, life, life, eternal life. And in doing this, they became exemplars of faith. They wonderfully entered into God's kingdom program and they showed us what it's like to follow hard after the Lord. But just like us, they hit bumps. They hit traffic stops. They had to have bathroom breaks and so many other things that tried and disrupted them as they went about their journey and as they sought the face of God and to take hold of the promises of God. I think this is important for us to recognize this morning because we are people who are so often tempted to believe that the Christian life is one that is to be lived devoid of trials and testing. We think the Christian life is one where our circumstances will be pleasant rather than disruptive, harmful, difficult. We often believe that the hard part of the Christian life is entering into the fold of God rather than seeing our entrance into the fold of God as the beginning of a journey that has many ups and downs along the way. Abram and Sarai journeying or sojourning in Egypt and being tested there all it does is confirm what scripture over and over and again teaches us. For instance, 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The fiery tri trials will come. Famines that drive us to Egypt to be tested and tried, they will come. And when they do, when we are driven to Egypt, please know that if you experience these things, if you experience trials, testings, the sort of circumstances that call us to exercise faith, please know that you are not crazy. 
Please know that God does not hate you. Please know that God hasn't lost control of the situation and God's steadfast character holds. You are walking in the footsteps of your father, Abraham. You are walking in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus. You are sharing in his sufferings. And and in this, we know at least two things are happening. One, Satan is seeking to sift us like wheat. He's seeking to destroy our faith, to disrupt us on the road. And two, at the very same time, according to James 1, God is seeking to refine our faith, to shape our faith, to incur or to strengthen our faith, to make us more and more to the image of Christ, to cause us to know, love, and enjoy Christ in, progressing, uh, in uh, progressive degrees. And so, though Satan would seek to sift you and destroy your faith, know that you have a faithful God who not only sustains, who saves you by his grace, but sustains you by his grace. Go to him. Rest in him. Fight the good fight of faith. And then keep going. Continue to fight. 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 Press on. In this very first verse of our story, we see Abraham enduring something that is natural to life in Christ, and that is trial, something that we all experience. Circumstances change and they lead to trial. So now, how does Abraham react when he is tried? Not well. The best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. We, we see this, uh, this conflict introduced, and now we see that it drives Abram and Sarah to Egypt in verses 11 through 16. It's been said that this story of Abram and Sarah sojourning in Egypt is a story for backsliders. It's a story for those who are mired in sin, who have fallen on their face in sin. If that's you, or it has been you, and that should cover all of us, and I encourage you to lean in this morning. In these verses, we're seeing Abraham, or Abram fall on his face in sin in the most epic way. It's the, the ice skater in the Winter Olympics going up for a big jump only to eat it and hit their face on the ice. If we back up to the beginning of chapter 12, we see God make these incredible promises to Abram where he promises him, one, descendants. We see that in verse two. I will make you a great nation and I will make your name great. God promises land. Verse seven, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. And he promises Abram that he will be a blessing to the nations. Verse three, and in you all the nations and the earth will be blessed. We begin with these incredible promises of God. And then we move to Abram living out the commands of God. Abram acts faithfully. He obeys and does everything that God asks. And in doing this, he becomes an exemplar of faith. But then once again, circumstances arise. Abram is driven to Egypt, and there his faith is tempted. There he has an opportunity to believe in the promises of God, to dig into the word of God, to trust God's unfailing character, to seek God's face in prayer. Rather, he takes the situation into his own hands. Verse 11. Verse 11. When Abram and Sarai were about to enter Egypt, Abram's fear and selfishness overcame him. Verse 11. I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. 
Abram had a problem. He had a beautiful wife. This is a great problem. But Abram recognized rightly that this posed a risk for him and Sarai. This worried Abram because he feared that some local petty lord or the Pharaoh himself in a worst case scenario would come and because of her beauty, she would, they would kill Abram and they would take Sarai for themselves. Not a very charitable man, Abram. And so he hatched a plan. We learn in Genesis 20 that Abram and Sarai were actually half-siblings. I know it sounds strange, but this was incredibly common in this period of time and in this culture. Uh, Where Abram came from, this is actually uh, uh, a sign of wealth and social prestige. And so Abram, banking on a partial truth and a partial lie, tells Sarai to act as a sister when they arrive in Egypt. And in doing this, this would give Abram a, a hand up. He would be in a power position He would be able, as her family member, to barter for her hand in marriage. Uh, And this should last long enough so that they could both escape back to Canaan when the land was restored and they would escape with their safety and their lives intact. Of course, this plan fails miserably and the consequences are disastrous. Seemingly all-powerful Pharaoh gets wind of the beauty of Sarai and he can do whatever he wants. And so he comes and he takes Sarai as his wife. And not only that, not only does he add Sarai to his harem, but because uh, Abram is the last remaining family member of hers, he actually pays Abram. He gives him riches, servants, animals, everything that he could ever want. Look at verse 13 and see why Abram did this that it may go well with me. Why? That it may go well with me. Here we see a reversal of order. Abram does this for who? For his wife? For the good of his wife? For the purity of his wife? For the virtue of his wife? That his wife might have good things and it might go well for her? For his God? that his God might receive glory, that that the fame of the Father might extend to all the earth? No, for himself. Rather than taking godly initiative as a man or laying down his life for the sake of his wife, he exalts his own needs above the needs of his wife. And then he has the gall to seek to manipulate his wife and say that this is actually for her good. Let me be clear. In this, Abram's faith fails. He sins in an extravagant way. His sin against his wife is significant. He acts selfishly as less than a man, putting his own needs above the needs of the one that God had given him to be his wife. He puts his wife's purity and freedom at risk. And in a word, this is disgraceful. But not only that, Chiefly even, Abram's sin was against God. He fails to believe in the promises of God. He fails to take God at his word. He fails to seek God's face. He fails to act with reference to God. He fails to believe that God could do anything. 
that he would make him a great nation, that he would give him land, that he would cause him to be a blessing to the nations. He refuses to believe like he did in Genesis 22 that God could do anything, even raising his son from the dead if he needs to, to carry out his kingdom purposes. No, instead he took things into his own hands and he sought to make his own way. What we're seeing here, I think, should be familiar to us. And that's because these are things that we all do. I mentioned last weekend, Raylan Henry and I went to Cayucas, and I mentioned that uh, on that journey, I zoned out a few times and quit paying attention. And when that happened, uh, cars would be slowing down, and I'd be going the same speed. Raylan, my wife, she would say, cars, cars, slow down or something like that uh, in the different situations. And that never feels good when it's justified, right? Like when you know that you weren't paying attention and you get like nailed for it. Well, after about the third time of this happening, uh, I noticed that whenever the cars are slowing down in front of us, I look over and Raylin will kind of take hold of the side handle. <laughs> you guys done that before? <laughs> This makes sense, right? When your safety and your security are at risk, an appropriate thing to do is to take hold of that side handle. It's to brace. It's to say, watch out, there are cars ahead. Now, imagine in this situation, what if as the cars were slowing down, if instead of grabbing the side handle, Raylan reached over and she grabbed the steering wheel and yanked it? Would that be a good idea? No, no. And yet, that's exactly what we're seeing of Abram here. He's seeing the danger ahead. He's seeing the circumstances changing ahead. And rather than trusting in his all-powerful, all-wise, all-good God, he reaches over and he takes the situation into his own hands and he yanks the wheel. Of course, the major difference here in this story is, is that God is not an ADD husband. He's not someone who might actually fail in this situation. No, Abram is taking the hands or taking the wheel from God. And in doing so, he is communicating to God that I do not trust you. You do not actually have the situation in your control. I know better. What we're seeing in this passage is the father of our faith, Father Abraham, a hero of the faith, falling on his face in sin. He's not just messing up. No, he is rebelling against his God. He is acting unfaithfully without reference to God. He is in sin. This story, though, is not merely to document the sin of Abram, as bad as it is, but it is to show us that the best of men are men at best. In Abram, the best of us, we see what we are all capable of. We are sinners. Just like Abram, we are driven by the famines that exist in our life, and we have our faith tested in Egypt. Just like Abram, we are tempted to act without reference to God. We take things into our own hands. We seek to yank the wheel from God's hands. This is what we do when we seek to handle conflict according to our flesh rather than according to the word of God. This is what we do when we allow concerns over finances to cause us to shrink in and lack generosity. 
This is what we do when loneliness, angst, anger, or lack of affection drive us to sexual immorality. We can keep going. This is what we do over and over again in our lives. And in Abram, we see ourselves acting as the bad backseat driver. And so if you find yourself here this morning as a backslider, as a sinner, one who is down and out, then know that you are in good company. You are like your father, Abraham. You're like me. You're like the person sitting next to you. You're a sinner in need of a savior. The question becomes in all of this, if Abram messed up so bad, if he transgressed God's commands in such a marvelous way, if he uh, refused to uphold the human dignity in another person, even his wife, in, in such a terrible way, then how in the world is he an example of faithfulness? How is he a hero of the faith? How is he the father of the faith? Once again, life in Christ is a road. It is not a single stop along the road. It is a long journey. Abraham was characterized by the totality of his life. What did he do over and over again? He repented. He returned to the Lord. He sought his face and he acted with faith over and over and over again. This is the pattern in his life. Why are, are any of the people who are included in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith, why are any of them included? All of them are without sin or with sin. Not one of them has uh, earned their own righteousness. Some of them have sinned in terrible and profound ways. They are people just like Abram who kept going back to the Lord, who when they failed over and over and over again, they sought God's face. They didn't give up. They kept pressing. They persevered in the Lord. So backslider, downtrodden, sinner, normal Christian, if you were here this morning, if you're here this morning, then I urge you today to do two things. First, First, recognize uh, your own life. Take account of your own life and consider the circumstances that would drive you to Egypt where you might be tested. What are those things that would lead you to a place where you are going to be tempted to act with unbelief? Maybe you think God is slow in acting to bring about a friend or a spouse that you so desperately want. Maybe you're frustrated over your finances. You're concerned. You're worried over them. Maybe you feel lonely, scared, tired, anxious. Maybe the injustice that exists in this world has you down. Maybe you are concerned over the natural evils that exist in our world like hurricanes that are ravaging Florida even right now. Recognize that these things are natural to life in Christ. This is what we just dealt with in our first point. They're natural to life in Christ. See these circumstances that would arise where Satan would seek to destroy you. Recognize that God seeks to refine you in these things. He seeks to cause you to know him and enjoy him. And so resist the devil and stand in the promises of God. And when you fail, like you will, just like your father Abraham did, the second thing we do is we repent. We believe in the Lord Jesus and we keep going. We keep going, we press on, we press on, we keep fighting, we keep clawing on towards the prize. How is this possible? 
It's possible in Christ. Last thing we want to see in the word this morning. God will remain faithful to his covenant promises. God will remain faithful to his covenant promises. So in the verses that we are looking at right now, we're seeing Abram fall flat on his face. We see him take the wheel from God. We see him sin in an epic way. Where does this leave things? Well, in verses 17 through 20, we see the resolution. Sarai, the mother of our faith, is taken and the promises of God are at risk. Verse 17, but God, but the Lord. I am convinced, we've said this before from this stage, but I am convinced that the phrase but God or phrases like that, this has to be the best phrase in the Bible. But God almost always follows with a beautiful gospel promise. Something that takes us back to the very character of God and how he is for us in Christ. What does God do? Verse 17. God goes on to send plagues to, uh, to Pharaoh and his house. Verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Somehow, uh, Pharaoh was able to figure out that God had plagued them. This plague was probably uh, some sort of skin disease, uh, probably boils. And somehow in the midst of this, uh, Pharaoh recognized probably that Sarai didn't have the same skin disease. And so he narrowed it down to the fact that Abram and Sarai had done something. So he confronts Abram with uh, this situation. And he, he comes to him and verse 18, this is really important. Pharaoh says, what is it that you have done to me? What is it that you have done to me? The, the original wording actually helps us out here. Pharaoh is beside himself with uh, confusion. He is confounded. He's exasperated as to why in the world Abram would act in the way that he did. That he would lie about Sarai being his wife and bring about this evil upon his house. And if we take a step back, we can see how tragic and terrible this is from the perspective of God's covenant with Abram. Here, Abram acts deceitfully so that God has to step in to fix the situation. The situation calls for God himself to intervene. It's not something that's easily escapable. And so God does something drastic. God's divine help here means that Pharaoh and his house have to be afflicted. And so rather than Abram being a blessing to the nations and to the house of Pharaoh, Abram and Sarai, because of their sin, they become a curse to Pharaoh and his house. This is a reversal of purpose once again. Tragically, this is what sin does. It's part of its character. And so Pharaoh in his exasperation here, uh, once again, the original language that what we see is, is, is Pharaoh says, take wife, get out. I kind of imagine Vernon Dursley from Harry Potter getting on to Harry here and just red face saying, leave. And so he kicks Abram and Sarai out of the land, whole, safe, purity intact, with all of the riches that, that he had originally given them. This is not primarily a story about us telling the truth. There are ethical and moral implications in this story. We should be truth tellers. And we should certainly not sell people we love to kings. But 
The, the main thing we're seeing here, though, is that God is faithful to his covenant promises. Abram not only acts selfishly and cowardly in this story, but he puts God's kingdom program at risk. God promises to make Abram a great nation, which meant he promised descendants. And therefore, Sarai would have been vital to these promises, the fulfillment of these promises. Sarai was crucial to the plan. Abram acted in his own self-interest. And in doing that, he, he cut out Sarai from the promises of God. The problem here is unbelief and the consequences of that unbelief. The promises of God are at risk. The point in, the point in this, though, is that Abram acted faithlessly. And though he acted faithlessly, God acted faithfully. God would not abandon his people to their sins. God would not abandon his promises. And so this story actually becomes an archetypal story for us and for Israel. Just as God delivered Abram and Sarai from Egypt through plagues and gave them riches, God would later in the book of Exodus deliver Israel from Egypt through plagues and give them riches. And this is something we'll see over and over again in the Old Testament all the way up to the New Testament where just as God delivered Abram, Sarai, and Israel from Egypt and gave them riches through plagues, he has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. Not by plaguing Egypt, no, by afflicting his son Jesus upon the cross. And so that when we receive Christ by grace through faith and we believe in his name and receive salvation, then we are people who now share in the riches of Christ forever. And this leads us to Christ. Christ is seen in this story over and over again by contrast to Abraham. Christ is the better Abraham. Christ, rather than offering up his bride for riches and safety, laid down his life for his bride. Christ, rather than enjoying the riches of his iniquity, set out on a rescue mission from God for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Christ, rather than risking the purity and the virtue of his bride, washed and cleansed his bride, giving her his own righteousness so that she would forever be pure, spotless, white as snow in the eyes of God. Abram was tempted to go left and right off of the road. Christ, though tempted, was without sin. He had resolve and never swerved, keeping his face set towards Jerusalem where he would endure the cross, taking our place, enduring the wrath of God so that we might live and enjoy him and have the riches of Christ forever. God was faithful to his covenant purposes, his covenant promises back in Genesis 12 with Abram. And now Christ has mediated a new and a better covenant because of, or to us because it's enacted with better promises according to Hebrews 8. Enacted by his very own blood. And so in light of all of these things, my friends, my brothers, and my sisters, we have every reason to rest easy in Christ today. We can sit here, backsliders, downtrodden, those who are dealing with terribly difficult circumstances, having our faith tried, and we can be sure that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We can stand upon the promises of God today. And the thing is, the glorious thing is that this is not dependent upon us. 
Along this road we are on, we will falter, we will fall down, we will act faithlessly like our father Abraham. But just like our father Abraham, God will not leave us in Egypt. No, where we are faithless, he will remain faithful. He will remain faithful to his covenant promises. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to rest in these covenant promises in Christ today. Father, we thank you that we can gather together today as the redeemed because of Jesus. Lord, we can rest in the new and better covenant enacted on better promises, the blood of Jesus today. Father, I pray that you would take the truth of your gospel and you would overwhelm us with your grace and your love extended to us. Father, I pray that you would help us to reckon with our own sin and see our great need for a savior. Lord, I pray that over and over again you would gloriously put Christ before us and cause us to stand in him. Lord, may the various promises of God that you have made to us, may they become real for us today, this week. May they guide us and lead us so that we would worship you and that your glory would abound in this earth. Thank you, thank you for this time and your word. Pray that you'd be exalted in us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.